Welcome back to the Surfacing Leaders Podcast, where you can come along with nuclear submarine officer, sought-after turnaround CEO and founder of Lead with Purpose, Mark Kohler, as he tells the stories of leaders in unlikely places and the human spirit that drives us all to show us that anyone can learn to be a leader. And now, here's Mark Kohler. Hey, it's Mark Kohler, president and founder of Lead with Purpose, and I want to welcome you to our very first Surfacing Leaders podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here. Now, for this first one, I was trying to figure out who should I have as a guest, and I thought I would share the why behind Surfacing Leaders. And so I'm going to be the first guest, and I'm going to have our chief marketing officer, Kim Touchton, interview me. So Kim, thanks for jumping on today for the first podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to be here, Mark, for this our first episode, this podcast, when you can change a lot of lives. And I'm excited that uh, I get to be the one that interviews you for this very first episode. Let's jump right into it if you're ready. Yes. All right. So my first question is, why a podcast? What's, what's your reasoning behind doing a podcast in the first place? Yeah, so great question. You know, podcasts have been around, you know, for years. So why didn't I start one five years ago or three years ago, or even one year ago? And I think it has to do with a couple of factors that have come together at the exact same time that sort of pushed me over the edge to say, hey, I got to start this podcast and call it Surfacing Leaders. Let me share with you what those factors are. First, the speed of business and the speed of the world that we live in today has become too fast for anyone to handle on their own. Now, before COVID, the speed of business was certainly increasing, but when COVID hit, it accelerated And we had to deal with all these massive disruptions because after COVID, you know, supply chain bottlenecks and record inflation, historic gas prices, Russia-Ukraine war, recession, banks collapsing, and all these external things that are happening. And for us to get through that, leaders, we had to basically set up remote work and we sent our employees home. And I think leaders and I think did a fantastic job of getting through and gritting it out. But what's proven out right now is that the pain that's being caused by this setup and people being stuck in an old leadership framework, old leadership skills, there's a ton of pain that's happening. Employees are disconnected from their job. You know, Gallup just came out three weeks ago and said 80% of employees in the United States not feeling a strong connection to their company's culture. And I'm like, what? Like, seriously? Like, think of all the missed opportunity that we're having. Think of the difference it's making in our employees' lives, in in the interactions that they're having with our customers. Because when people have a strong connection to their purpose, they're a lot happier. They're more resilient. They're more productive. And so, think of all the productivity that's being missed also for our companies, for our communities, and, and, and for our society at large. So, I think, you know, we have people and leaders who know that they have to make a change. They just don't know where to go to. And so surfacing leaders is going to be an opportunity to, you know, start a conversation in and around what are the, what's, where's leadership happening? What does it look like? And we want to help solve that problem. You know, 124 million people today, not feeling strongly connected to the company culture. We want to make a dent in that. That's great. Now you mentioned a little bit servicing leaders and, and kind of what we want to do with this. Talk to me about servicing leaders. Who's going to be on the show? What kind of are you going to be talking about? What does servicing leaders mean? Well, well, certainly we want to talk to 
um, where traditional leadership is at. So we want to talk to business leaders. We want to definitely talk to, you know, we'll have someone from a SEAL team on. But what we really want to do is we want to break down leadership and what are the things that are happening daily throughout the entire world, in the business world, in people's lives. And we want to bring those to the forefront. So as an example, we want to go talk to a fast food restaurant and find out, hey, how's leadership happening there every single day? We want to go to a choir and say, how is leadership happening within the choir? Uh, We want to go to a school. How is leadership happening in the school? And so I think if we can bring these types of leadership skills that are happening on a daily basis to the forefront, I I believe that people who are listening to the podcast will be able to see themselves in those people becoming leaders, and they themselves will view themselves as a leader. You know, that's one of the other things that is really important to us is there's these myths in and around leadership that we want to be a catalyst to change those myths and break what people think about traditional leadership. One of the things is, hey, I'm not a leader. You know, I, I wasn't born with the leadership skills. And you know, the matter, the, the truth is that 80% of leadership skills are learned. And so how do, how do we bring this forward so people can feel that they can take that first step in leadership? One other myth we want to break is, hey, leadership's not my, that's not my thing. You know what? Leadership, that's the person above me. And we want, we want to shift it to have the thought that there's leaders at every single layer of the organization. If, if you're the top leader in your company, if you have 300 people in your company, there's 300 leaders in your company. And so we want to we wanna be a catalyst to help break some of those myths. So we're going to go to the places where we see leadership every day, but, but we don't notice it. And, and we want people to be able to see that in themselves and say, hey, I can take this first step in becoming a better leader and leading a more purposeful life. Oh, that's fantastic. This is so exciting. I know the team is excited for all the guests that are going to be on the show. And like you said, I think it's going to inspire a lot of people who don't realize, they don't realize that they are a leader and that they have the potential to lead. You say all the time that leadership is learned and anybody can learn leadership. So it's really exciting. Let's talk about, you know, it. when we first met, it didn't take me very long to realize that you were really passionate about leadership and about this concept of everybody can learn to be a leader. It, it radiates from you. And, you know, that belief that you inspire and instill in people, it's real and it's, it's transformational for people who listen to you speak and learn the leadership tools and skills that you teach. Where did all of this start? What was going on in your life that really made it so important to you to get this message out? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it started really early on in my life and it's just something I have a tremendous passion for. And the reason I have a passion for it is people might not understand this, but I'm really an introvert. And up until I was 16 years old, I mean, I didn't want to raise my hand in class. I didn't want to stand in front of anyone and say anything. I was scared to death of doing that. And so what happened was an experience transformed me. I got sent to Germany to be an exchange student for a year and I didn't speak the language. So I had to, I was forced to learn a couple of leadership skills about how to communicate with others. And it forced me to step into something that I was very uncomfortable with. And then I was able to learn those leadership skills. And I saw the impact that it had not only on my life of being more confident, but I saw the impact that it had on the people that I was interacting with. And that became the seed for me being able to step into other leadership roles and learn other leadership skills that are very uncomfortable. I mean, I always talk about leadership. And if you, if you write with your right hand, if you take a pen and put it in your left hand, 
What does that feel like? It's going to be really uncomfortable. But if you do that for 30 days straight, you're going to be able to learn that and it's not going to feel as uncomfortable. So I think leadership is something that people feel really uncomfortable with. But that seed that I had in my experience being in Germany for a year, that's what allowed me to step into other opportunities. So when I was at college, I stepped into leadership roles that I felt uncomfortable with. Then built that on by going into the nuclear submarine force, which was, that was really uncomfortable, standing up in front of 25 people and trying to put a message across. And I always kept stepping into these roles like at Honeywell and then as a turnaround CEO. So, so it's been my own journey to understand that leadership is inside every single one of us. And I, I go back to a, a quote, and I share this with people who I talk with. It's not what we don't have. It's what we don't use. Let me say that again. It's not what we don't have. It's what we don't use. We are hardwired to lead. And I've just seen tremendous growth, not only in myself, but I've seen teaching these simple skills and leadership tools to others. I've seen them transform their lives, not only their lives, but also their family's life and also every single employee. Because when the leader makes a change, other employees, they see that. They see the change in their leader and humans were hardwired to imitate. And so as they start expressing these leadership skills and tools themselves, they're automatically, it's going to distribute throughout the rest of the company. And that's where you get a tremendous power. So I think the tremendous human potential that sits inside each and every single one of us to lead a more purposeful life and really taking that mindset of like, hey, I'm not born with leadership. No one's born with leadership. You learn leadership. And so that's, I think that's what I'm really passionate about is, is continuing to look where is leadership happening and how do we become a catalyst where people can look at and come to surfacing leaders and say, hey, you know what? They have a lot of different leadership skills. I like that one right there. I'm going to take and apply that in my life. And so I, th I think that's really where the passion came from is, uh, is, is through my experience. A question for you. You mentioned in there, you know, went into the submarine force and said that was a little uncomfortable. Mark, could that also be because uh, you're 6'4"? And being 6'4 in a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. How did that happen? How did you end up on a submarine? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The My... my my love for the country really started when I was in, um, I mean, I was brought up, my parents were very, you know, traditional and uh, they taught us to love the country. But my love for the country really came about when I was 16 living in Germany. And, you know, there's a saying that says, you don't understand the label on the bottle when you're sitting inside of the bottle. And I was able to see the United States and how great this country is from an outside perspective and even from another Western civilization. So I was able to, I was able to view that. I was able to see that. And so I always had the seed of like, Hey, I wanted to serve. And then there was this little known movie. You, know, you guys might not have heard about it. It was called Top Gun. Have you heard about that? Top Gun came out 1986. I was a junior in college. It inspired me to go into the recruiting station in Buffalo, New York, went through all the different tests. But at the end of the day, the person comes to me and says, hey, we have to have you take one more test and we have to have you take it over. And I said, well, what is it? Did I not see the horizon right? Or, you know, my eyesight and everything? He says, no, your thigh bone is currently three-eighths of an inch too long to sit in a, in a cockpit. 
of an F-16. And I said, what? <laughs> yeah, my thigh bone. Yeah. So what happened was he said, try to put your butt as hard into the wall as you can. I think I left a hole in the wall, but anyways, eighth of an inch too long. And so I was disqualified from, from flying on, on a jet. And so as the door was hitting me in the butt, leaving the recruiting station, the recruiter just said to me, hey, I see you're studying physics and mechanical engineering. Have you ever thought about the submarine force? And, you know, my, my dreams were crushed at that time. I mean, I was, you know, I was going to be flying Mach 2. I was going to be having the, you know, the motorbike with the hot chick on the back. All that was gone. And I leave the recruiting station, but he kept after me for about a two-month period. And he started sharing with me what the program was about and the challenge that it would be education-wise. And, you know, I learned that it was second only to MIT's engineering program in the world of, of, of getting through. And I was like, hey, I, I want to try that. And so I joined up for the nuclear submarine force. For the first two years, you're basically on land and they're, and they're teaching you everything you need to be a leader. I, I learned just a few years ago that the Navy spent about $2.8 million teaching me how to be a leader. And so all the training that they put into me, and I think one of the greatest things that they were looking for is they were looking for, could I learn at speed? Mm. So when I think about everything that's happening today, we need to have people, we need to have frameworks that allow our people to learn at speed. And so I went through the entire pipeline, got stationed in San Diego, California. You know, at the time I was 23 years old, I was helping to drive, you know, what's, what's now a $3 billion piece of equipment around on missions critical to national security. Average age of the 110-person crew was 23 years old. And so it was this tremendous experience. I mean, it was the highest performing team that I was ever involved with. And it wasn't just like, hey, are we going to make, you know, the profit, you know, margins this year? It was like, these are life and death situations. So I think I was so young that I was so naive about what I was really being exposed to. Now, one of the things that was really tough for me was that we were out at sea 85% of the year. And Kim, as you alluded to, I'm six foot five. And so I was hitting my head inside. I'm not the smallest type of person. And the way they build a submarine is they build a submarine, they put all the technology in place that's needed to be there. And then they just say, hey, oh, oh, we can put a bed over here. Okay, we can put a kitchen right here. And so it really isn't built for, for people like me, but had some tremendous experiences. Um, but that 85% Etsy time was really tough. Um, I had people who were working for me. They were missing key times in, in, in the family's life of a birth of a person or one of their, one of their kids, the death of a family member. And, you know, I just, I just couldn't see that as the, as the long-term life for me. So at that time I got out and I, I, I went to go work for Honeywell. Again, had some fantastic training experiences, but what frustrated me was the big 32,000 person company hierarchy, decision-making, really slow. And in 2005, and that's when my kids were eight, six, and four at the time, I could be at every back-to-school night, quarry performance and soccer practice, or I could climb a corporate ladder. And so I jumped off and started doing strategic management consulting. And in my first opportunities that I had, I started falling into doing interim work. So I would be brought in as the interim executive for a company who was struggling, had hit a rough patch. And typically, these situations, they're pretty dire. 
they had six to nine months runway before they were going to either go out of business or needed a big cash infusion. So I went to these very, very stressful environments. And it was interesting what I learned. I thought that the small business that I was going into, I thought it was more like a big business. So I took a bunch of the Honeywell tools from big business, applied them to the small business. And frankly, I almost killed the small companies. The tools from Honeywell, they were too big. They were too wieldy. They didn't give us the ability to be agile and adaptable and create a really, really strong team. So what happened was I I felt stuck at one time using all these Honeywell tools. And so with either nothing to lose or everything to lose, because those tools were not working to help turn around these first couple of companies, I just decided to go back to my time in the submarine force and just really analyze what are the things that we did? What's the environment that we had set up? So that we could, you know, have 110 men, you know, adjust and shift on the fly in life and death situations and continue to make sure we get these missions critical to national security completed. And, you know, one other interesting point is when I was analyzing all this is the entire crew of a submarine, all 110 people, they change out every three years. So think about that. Think of voluntary turnover every three years. You have new people coming on. And how do you do that? How do you keep the operational tempo the same in life and death situations? As I looked at everything, what I was able to see was that there were a couple tools that were very powerful in helping to communicate what we did. And what I was able to see was that everybody in the submarine was connected to the mission, strongly connected to the mission. Didn't matter if you'd been on board the submarine for three years or three days. Everyone was strongly connected to it. And that's what bound us together. And it brought me back to a saying that I had known while I was in the submarine, but it reminded me, this saying right here is our culture. And it says, we either all come to the surface or no one does. We either all come to the surface or no one does. And so I started looking at some of the tools. One of the tools we had was a one-page captain's orders. At the top of the page was, was the big picture mission. And then everyone's role and department of what they needed to do was down below. And this was posted throughout the submarine. Anyone could look at it. And it was a really powerful tool. So I decided in these couple turnarounds that I was first doing, I decided, hey, let's try a one-page captain's plan on these, on these companies. And I worked with the leadership team to get everything really simple and very succinct. And what I was able to do was take the same exact leadership teams and companies that were failing before, I was able to apply a one-page captain's plan to these companies, and they were able to turn everything around. And for me, it was a, it was a huge aha moment and a couple things. One is simplicity wins in a dynamically changing world. And so having a big 32-page plan and a binder, that doesn't work anymore. So how do you get down to a single page? And the first thing that we have to do is we have to engage our employees. We have to show them how what they do today connects to making a difference in the world. So I think that those first couple turnarounds that I did, I got tremendous success. Those owners, they were connected to other business owners and they told them, Mark saved my business. So guess what I started attracting? A bunch of other dysfunctional companies. companies. (laughs) Yeah, and for me, it it was fantastic because it was a puzzle. It was a new puzzle, totally different industry, totally different number of employees. And I did this for about a 10-year period. And every single time I did it, I would go, hey, the one-page captain's orders work so well. 
from the submarine force. Let's take a look at the meeting structure. Let's bring that here. That turnaround went great. Then the next one, let's bring the recognition system forward. That turnaround went great. And so what I was creating was a framework that would help get everyone on the same page, rowing in the same direction. And after seven or eight years, we finally came to a framework to say, hey, it's an E3 culture that you're developing. E3 stands for engage, empower, and encourage. And what I learned is that it's really important to first engage people and open up their hearts, have them be passionate about what they do. Then it's a lot easier. You can push decision-making down as a leader, and you can work more on the business than in the business, and then unequivocally needed today. You're not a manager today anymore. People don't want to be managed, right? So the final phase is encourage. How do you coach, mentor, and teach the people that you lead? And if you're able to do that, you're able to create this strong E3 culture, and that's a, that's a competitive advantage today. And so that was created, and, and then what we also talked about was fast attack leadership, which is a five-step framework, is really in and around the leadership skills that you need to implement, not only for yourself, but that you can teach to everybody further down. And if you do that on a daily basis, and if everyone views themselves as a leader in your company, then you're going to be able to develop that strong E3 culture, which is your competitive advantage. So that's really the, the journey uh, that I took. And, and what we like to say is we're taking 35 years of leadership experiences from the U.S. Nuclear Submarine Force and then as a turnaround CEO and really compacting it into this three-step framework that anyone can learn so they can you know, create their own agile, future-ready team that's equipped to handle adversity and disruption. To date, how many companies or how many leaders have gone through this leadership development, used these leadership skills and tools that you've developed over 35 years? How many so far have gone through this and have been transformed? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Direct transformations are 46,000. But when we think about the leader changing, if there's one leader of a company that we've impacted and they have 300 people underneath them, you know, there's, there's really 301 people that, that, that have been impacted, but 46,000 leaders, it's been really satisfying. I, I, I got a gentleman the other day, he switched from one company to another. This was eight years ago that we were working with him. And two months ago, I got a, a LinkedIn from him. I said, hey, congratulations on the new opportunity. And he said to me, he said, hey, thanks so much for all the leadership skills that you taught me. I use them every single day. And he wasn't even in the primary leadership team. He was a secondary leader that I had some interactions with. So that's the type of impact that we've been able to have. It's, it's uh, very, very satisfying. So thinking about your experience in these 35 years and you know, the, the submarine force and then turnaround CEO, CEO of Lead with Purpose and you know, your time at Honeywell, how, how did all of these experiences shape your leadership perspective, do you think? Yeah, it's so it, it's uh, it's interesting because it's like starting off with like a block of wood, and then figuring out, hey, wh- what is the what is the final what's the final piece of art going to look like? And what I can tell you, it's it's still in process right now for me. So I, I think the biggest thing that happened and and that was shaped was I was given an opportunity when people are under very very stressful situations. I think they're open to new ideas and thoughts, and so I, I think what happened was. It's very much, for me, it was very much an experimental opportunity over the 35 years is just trying to step into to new opportunities. And I can tell you, I stepped into a lot of things that I had to step back out of. But I think we find out what works for us and where we need to go by finding out where not to go. 
And so I, I think what I found is that a lot of people think about leadership as like you got to swing for the fences, grand slam home run. And that's not what it is. Leadership is about the things that you do on a daily basis. And the most important thing is if you do that on a daily basis, you're going to win that day. And when you win a bunch of days together, you're going to win the week. And you win a bunch of weeks together, you're going to win the month, the year. And that's what creates tremendous success. So I think probably the biggest aha moment for me, two, uh, two of them is connect people to the mission first. Have them care about the job. I always thought it was about make sure that you get A players in the right position first. And I still think it's important. A players can have a big impact on our company. But there's a lot of companies where 70% of the workforce doesn't feel fully engaged in their job. And so what it flipped for me was, hey, make sure you get that message really simple. Make sure you get it really clear first, because you can turn a lot of people around very quickly. I've seen this happen. You can turn a lot of people around very quickly, and then they start working on themselves. And over time, they turn themselves into an A player. So Really, it's not about A players first. I believe it's about having people who are really passionate about what they're doing first. And uh, so that's one big thing. And then that's the second thing I already said. It was leadership's about consistency in the simple things, consistent simplicity. And I think that's what's really changed and informed me. And, and like I said, the piece of art's not done yet. And I don't think it'll ever be done. And maybe that's one of the reasons why, too, Maybe it's a little selfish of me to, to think about doing surfacing leaders because this entire journey that I'm on, that I've always been on, I'm going to continue doing that. And hopefully I get an opportunity to see leadership in, in a lot of areas that I haven't seen before. But surfacing leaders is about really giving people a platform and an opportunity to come along that journey with me and learn together. That's great. There's two things in there that really stuck out to me about what you said. Number one is that Everything that you talk about leadership and the framework and everything that um, that you teach, it has been battle tested. I mean, you have been in the driver's seat and, you know, used these skills and, and leadership development tools over 35 years. And you've really seen that transformation happen, but battle tested proven results. And second, what's interesting is, and, and I know that you are passionate about this, is how leadership, like you said, is lifelong, but leadership evolves and the old leadership framework that used to used to work of generations past and in this post-COVID world doesn't work anymore. And that leadership is it keeps evolving. And then and I hear you say that a lot, that you you learn leadership throughout the course of your of your life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, I think the pain in the world that's happening right now for leaders is it's gotten past the point where they can't just say, hey, I'm going to stay with the same leadership skills and tools. And so I think they're looking to jump to another lily pad. They just don't know where to jump to. And, and it's always about that jumping to another lily pad and being able to use the latest um, skills and tools uh, to be able to make that happen. One thing that's been fantastic about the leadership skills and tools, you talk about being battle-tested. You know, all I did is leverage... 250 years of the Navy and basically the armed forces teaching people how to lead others in, in highly stressful environments. And so all I did is I leveraged that, which was forged by the sea. All I did is I adapted that to land. And so I can tell you there's uh, some early on clients and users of fast attack leadership and lead with purpose 
And they said, yeah, we tried that one thing out, didn't work so well. And so it has been battle tested also. And we did find the program and the tools, tools that work. So I think that's really important. And then, yeah, I think if you stop learning, you stop growing. And look, the world's going to continue to evolve and change. I get asked this question all the time. Hey, Mark, what's the, what's the hybrid solution? I said, I don't know. <laughs> if you figure it out, tell me so I can tell everyone else. But we're just going to have to continue working on it. And it's about taking that next step and feeling comfortable to be able to take that next step in a dynamically changing world and just know that that next step is not your final solution. If we can understand that, then we can free ourselves from having to make sure that we have the exact right solution. And I said this earlier, you find out where to go by finding out where not to go. And sometimes taking a step forward, you say, hey, that's not the right way. Let me take a step to the right, to the left, or even backward. So in all of your experience, um, you know, career Navy and submarines and here under the water, then you're on land doing this with um, employees in the workplace. What have you learned about the human spirit and all of that? Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. I, I, think, I think what I've learned mostly about the human spirit, and this wasn't only in doing turnarounds, this was me trying to become at the same time a better husband, a better father, you know, another leadership role. Some people don't view it as a leadership role, I do. But I also learned a lot, you know, teaching eight to 10 year old kids how to play competitive soccer. Here's what I learned about the human spirit. And these are Maslow's hierarchy human needs. Number one is we crave simple, meaningful messages. That's number one. Number two is I believe attached to every single one of our souls is the wanting to belong to something bigger than ourselves. And then the third thing is we get really excited when we know we've been given an opportunity to have a hand and make a bunch of decisions in something that matters. And then we've been recognized for that. And so one of the things I get asked a lot is, well, why didn't you just take a look at some of the other frameworks that are in and around that? I didn't see anything that really helped a leader tap into these human needs because I believe the, it's the leader's responsibility not only to tap into it for themselves, but they have to be able to have a, a set of tools and an approach to bring this out in the people, people who they lead. And I've seen tremendous you know, transformations. There was one woman who was one of six daughters. Unfortunately, the, the owner of the business was 68 years old. They found him dead of, of a heart attack. Guess where the business plan was? Unfortunately, it was, in, it was in his head. And so she stepped forward and said, I want to make sure that the business continues on. And she stepped forward from being a high school teacher. We were able to see her transform herself and use a lot of the skills and tools that she had in, in you know, teaching kids, learn these leadership skills, and then get the company so it could be propped up and then it could be back to back being successful. So I have, I have hundreds of stories like that, seeing people make this tremendous transformation. And really, it's about tapping into those human needs. Yeah, I love that. Love that. It gets me excited for the guests that are going to be on Servicing Leaders with you. And we're going to be able to hear some of those stories and also new stories of new guests that you're going to bring in stories we don't even know about yet. So thinking about that, Mark, and surfacing leaders as we move forward and we go, you know, as we bring guests on, what are the top three things that you want listeners to know or learn from surfacing leaders as we go forward? 
So I, I believe that, you know, three things, two things, one thing. I just want people to get one thing if they're, if they're listening to the podcast. Is there one thing that they can get and is there one thing that they can take and implement? So I think in, in the top three things is, is there one simple thing that we can share with you? And there's one simple thing we can exp- expose that someone in their job is doing. And how can you look at that and say, hey, I'm going to take and implement that in my life. Second is I want people to really understand that leadership is about the very simple things in life. It's the very simple things, not only in your business, but also the other areas, being a great spouse, being a great parent, being a great member of your community. It's about the simple things that you do consistently on a daily basis that are, that are going to help you to get to success. And I think the final thing that I want people to really understand and make a transformation is every single time they come to Surfacing Leaders, I want them to, to have that 100% feeling and understanding when they leave to say, hey, I am a leader. Because when people have that feeling and understanding, there's tremendous things that can happen, not only in that person's life, but also in, in that company, in the customers that employee is working with, but also think about how it's going to change their life when they go home. Doesn't mean it was a, wasn't a hard day, but hey, I had, I had a great day because I was doing something connected to something bigger than myself. So think about the impact that that's going to have in a family. So I think, I think it's those three things that I would really love people to experience uh, when they come to surfacing leaders. All right, let's change gears. Fantastic job. We're going to go to rapid fire, round robin questions, Mark. Are you ready as we wrap up our first episode of Surfacing Leaders? How long do I get to answer each one? Think about it. Rapid fire. First thing that comes to yeah. mind. It makes me a little nervous, Mark. No, you're I'm just kidding. All right, are you ready? Yes. What is your favorite restaurant in Oceanside where you have resided for 25 years? Yes, Craft Coast Tacos and Beers. You got to go there. <laughs> uh, what's the favorite concert you've ever been to? Just went to Stagecoach. Fantastic. Chris Stapleton, off the charts. Funniest Navy story? Ooh, funniest Navy story. Funniest Navy story. Classified? Is the funniest one classified? Yeah. Yeah, they sort of are. So funniest Navy story. Oh my gosh. I don't know. It's a different day today. It's a different day today. Um, I'll I'll uh let's go to question four and I'll try to find one that's uh uh that's funniest navy story. Okay. What is your philanthropic passion? Philanthropic passion is to give back to the military. So we do, um, we have a, we have an agreement with Tunnel of Towers and we're working with other nonprofits that have to do with helping military veterans to transition to, to civilian careers. Super passionate about that. These are people who, you know, put themselves on the line and then recruiters, when they, when they, when they tell moms and dads that, Hey, your son or daughter is going to be better when they get out, you know, the, the dirty secret is that. A lot of these people, after first time getting out, they're three or four times more likely to be unemployed than someone who goes to college. And so we want to make a dent in that. We got to make a dent in that because these are people who served our country. So right, let's see. What is the most unique thing about you that we haven't talked about yet? I love, uh, I used to love doing triathlon. 
And I, I, I love everything in and around uh, triathlon. And so that's probably the most unique thing. Also, I know how to speak German. You know how to speak German fluently? Yes. That's something I didn't even know. So great answer. <laughs> so that's the end. Let's go back. We'll do this family feud style. We'll go back to uh, the one that you passed on. Do you have a funniest Navy story that you can think of that you can tell? Oh, my gosh. All right. I'm going to tell this. Okay. So we'll see, we'll see whether this is going to work. So in the submarine, we use a lot of products and services and, and that produces trash. And so we have to get rid of that trash. And unfortunately, that goes into the ocean. So there's a way that we do that. We're a couple hundred feet below the surface of the ocean. And we put the trash in, in, a, in, a, in a container and, and that container is weighted so that the trash doesn't come up to the surface because it would be very bad for a milk box with some English language on it to come up to the surface in some of the areas we're in. And so we were a little bit off station and we needed to get rid of the trash and it was on my duty. And so a lot of times on the submarine, it can be very boring. And so as I'm sitting there dumping the different trash, we had about 18 different ones to dump. I went over one spot, dumped the trash, and then I had the submarine come to the left. And I went about 500 feet and I dumped another trash, had the submarine come north again, dumped another trash, and I was creating uh, a shape uh, in the bottom of the ocean. And so about midway through my watch, another gentleman is to come on and he is to continue dumping the trash. And he says, what's the shape that you're making here? And the gentleman happened to be Mark Bertinoli. He goes, what, what is the shape that you're making right here? And I was making a martini glass um, on, the, on the bottom of the ocean. And so I always, I always laugh and say, uh, you know, 20,000 years, it's going to be like Stonehenge, right? Yeah. They're going to go like, there must have been some like, you know, tremendous, you know, intellectual thought behind this entire thing. Because we find these, you know, the, the oceans are going to be empty and they're going to find this thing like in a martini glass. So I guess that's the best one I can tell you. Oh, that's a great one. That's great. I love it. All right, Mark. Well, fantastic job. Thank you so much. Love hearing your story. Excited for Surfacing Leaders podcast. What do you want to? What do you want to end and close this out with, today? Yeah. Look, I, I I would I would love you to give us an opportunity. So definitely come to the podcast. We're gonna have some very very interesting leaders, and I'm excited to take a look at different areas where leadership is really happening. So I'm excited to you know have you come along on that journey. Thanks for joining Mark today. And remember, new episodes of Surfacing Leaders will be available every other week where you can become inspired, gain confidence, and learn leadership right where you are. Until next time, make it a great day.